Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. Cincinnati's residential tax abatement program could get an overhaul. Council's been debating a proposal that would limit the value of abatements in wealthier neighborhoods and increase the value of lower-income neighborhoods' abatements. Councilmember Reggie Harris is co-sponsoring the legislation, and he's said that proponents want property owners to pay their fair share in neighborhoods where investment is already happening. But critics say more changes are needed. Joining me to discuss the proposal are Cincinnati City Councilmember Reggie Harris. Thanks for being here, Councilmember Harris. Thank you for having me. Cincinnati Federation of Teachers organizer Michelle Dillingham. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. And LISC of Greater Cincinnati Executive Director Kristen Baker. Thanks for being here, Kristen. Glad to be with you. Do you have questions or comments about Cincinnati's residential tax abatement proposal? Give us a call at 513-419-7100 or email talk at wvxu.org. Reggie, I want to start with you. Can you give us um, just a brief explanation of tax abatements for our residential tax abatements for our listeners who may not be familiar and also what uh, a, a brief synopsis of what this proposal is trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, residential tax abatements uh, do two things. They are uh, an economic tool uh, to purchase a home um, and so thereby uh, lowering the price of the home through um, an abatement of property tax. Uh, and they're also a policy tool to incentivize uh, home ownership uh, in a city. And so depending upon the city's need, right, you like in Cincinnati, we want to incentivize development in neighborhoods that have not had uh, seen development. But, you know, cities can tailor that to their needs. But it's just those two things, it's the economic tool and a home ownership incentive. Uh, incentive tool. Gotcha. And this proposal, talk about the kind of the problem this proposal is trying to uh, tr- trying to address. Yes. So, in under our uh, current system, uh, abatements are just granted citywide, and uh, they are only granted to uh, pro- uh, projects that use uh, LEED or very very expensive uh, certifications. Right. And so they're not uh, they're being have disproportionately impacted our city. What we have sought to try to do is to say, okay, listen, what the neighborhoods that need the most get the most. So we broke this city up into three tiers based on six criteria, average household income, poverty rate, housing value, mortgage applications, mortgage uh, mortgage applications originated and approved, market value change and new construction permit activity. And we said, if you have only one or two of those things are present in your neighborhood, that's a lift neighborhood. You need more. If you have three or four, that's an expand neighborhood. Some things, some activity is happening, but you still uh, need more investment. And if you have four or more, we say that's a sustained neighborhood. That's a neighborhood that has a strong sort of economic and market value. And so based on those tiers, that's what we say you get the most. So in the lift neighborhoods, you get the maximum amount of time, 15 years, and you get the most money. For the expand neighborhoods, you still get a little bit more, but you get a little less time. So 15 years for the abatement in the lift, and then 12 and 10 years, uh, depending on new construction, remodeling, and expand. And then in those sustained neighborhoods, we say, hey, we still want to incentivize folks who want to provide economic mobility, but you get half the time. You get eight years for remodeling, five years for new construction, and the amount of money you get is reduced. So that's it in a a nutshell. Mm. Kristen, what do you think about this tiered approach? Do you think that will increase investments in in areas that haven't gotten as much? Absolutely. You know, um, 
this is not unique to Cincinnati. This the the tax abatement guidelines are set by Ohio Revised Code. So we have a set of parameters that we have to operate within in any jurisdiction in the state of Ohio. Columbus is a great example of a city that has adopted their CRA abatement tools to do just what we're doing here, actually with even a little more razor-sharp focus, but this is a build on that, right, to say, listen, if we can provide abatements to potential homeowners in neighborhoods where the investment has been less and that this might be able to have more of an impact on increasing homeownership opportunities and making homeownership a little more affordable for those first few 15, up to 15 years um, of the life of the abatement. That's a good thing for neighborhoods that are looking to really expand their homeownership opportunities. So we think that this can really be a good build um, as one tool of many mm. in the tools around housing in Cincinnati. Michelle, you've been pretty outspoken in your criticism of these proposed changes. Explain what you view as as the problems with this plan. Sure. Um, You know, what people need to understand is that when the city exempts taxes, um, those are property taxes in this case. And Ohio in particular is one of the most heavily reliant for their public education spending on property taxes. That's how we essentially fund public schools and public transportation for our students. And so um, the school district um, loses millions upon millions of dollars um, through the use of residential tax abatements. Uh, In the case of commercial abatements, the school district and the city negotiated a pilot payment deal, payment in lieu of taxes, where um, when commercial properties are developed, you know, they get the schools get a portion back um, to help th- make them whole. In the case of residential, uh, the schools get nothing. And so, you know, we have a district where we are literally laying off reading specialists, math specialists, counselors. Um, we are overly reliant on levying um, our taxpayers for school levies. Um, And so our point in all of this is that we should not be continuing to incentivize wealthy neighborhoods that already have hot housing markets, such as Hyde Park, Oakley. Um, And in fact, this policy does nothing to address the disparity uh, between, you know, Caucasian and black um, homeowners. Um, Yes, there is some added incentive, but if you don't have the funds or the capital to put on that new roof or to build that new house, it really does nothing to generate uh, generational wealth, which has been tossed around for African-American families. And so, you know, really two issues. One, this does cost our school district millions upon millions of dollars. And two, this policy in particular really does nothing to address the disparities um, that are have been going on for decades. And in fact, there's a lawsuit against the city suing the city for discriminatory practices Mm -hmm. with this program. I want to come to your first point, um, because I know the city's law department has made the argument that some, if not all of these improvements wouldn't happen Mm -hmm. without the tax abatement. So their argument seems to be, you know, if the improvements don't happen, there's no increase in taxes. So the schools aren't losing anything. What do you say to that? Well, that's That's so interesting because that is the national debate, right? Because we're not unique in this incentive tool. Well, some places have prohibited and outlawed abatements because of their impact on public services. But let's take the point. Um, The incentive, right, is to incentivize investment where um, the private risk wouldn't be worth it otherwise. 
And I would challenge, you know, your listeners to say, look at Over the Rhine, look at Hyde Park and Oakley. Are you trying to say that if we don't give them a tax abatement that we won't see investment? Um, that that just falls flat. Mm. Um, meanwhile, public schools are one of the top things that people look for when they move to a new city. They want to know what kind of schools they have uh, for their kids. Employers in the business community want um, solid, good, trained, reliable workers. Um, those are the things that matter to business and to neighborhoods, um, not so much the incentive. Mm. Councilmember Harris, what do you think, um, you know, Michelle's pointed out some of these uh, thriving neighborhoods in Cincinnati, Hyde Park, Oakley, Over the Rhine. Do those neighborhoods maybe, do they even need abatements anymore? Should they be kind of taken out of the mix completely? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a, a great point. And I believe that they so do. And I believe in them being reduced. And here's why. When you ask me about what a, an abatement was, I also say it's an, it's an economic tool. Uh, when we think about equity and when we think about incentivizing smaller developers, folks that maybe have owned one house and they want to buy a second house or people who want to move into neighborhoods of opportunity. I think about black families who maybe want to buy a house in Over the Rhine or buy a building Over the Rhine that they can then renovate and have. The abatement makes those things possible, particularly in neighborhoods of opportunity. And so I've spoken before about this idea of seeing a house and being like, okay, wow, I want to be able to move there. And this abatement tool allows for folks to be able to do that. But we also recognize that there are a lot of folks in those neighborhoods that have resources, and so they don't need 15 years of abatements, and they don't need the cap. So it's a it's a delicate balance. But I want to add that in this abatement program, we've added a three-year look back. Because here's the thing. We want to make sure that this is working. And we know that it takes about three years for a program to see some trend lines. And so if we get to a point in three years and we don't see a change in those six values that I outlined before, right, then we go back and we tweak, right, because markets fluctuate and we want our city to be able to grow. So that is the reason why. And now add one thing to say about the sustained neighborhood. 70% of our city's revenue comes from earnings tax. So we have to have a a spectrum of incentives for folks to live in our city, particularly with the legislation that's coming out of Columbus that impacts how we collect earnings taxes. So we're thinking comprehensively about our city and our city's fiscal health. I want to remind our listeners we're talking about proposed changes to Cincinnati's residential tax abatement program. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. We got an email from Jonathan, who lives in Northside. Um, this is a question for you, Councilmember Harris. It's a long email. I won't read the whole thing, but um, he's concerned that the uh, proposed program is, is having um, some unintended consequences. He said the abatements are helping to fuel housing and population turnover in some of Cincinnati's traditionally affordable and mixed-race income, mixed-race, mixed-income neighborhoods by pumping up housing prices faster than they would otherwise increase. This is true in Northside. Pleasant Ridge, Madisonville, East Walnut Hills. I live in Northside and the value of newly renovated properties has skyrocketed in part because the abatement subsidized monthly payments, making them lower than they would 
otherwise be. I don't think Northside needs abatements. The development train is running full steam here and spreading elsewhere. The measures from for ranking and tiering neighborhoods in the proposal are not forward-looking enough and don't capture these trends. I'm concerned that we will have a kind of soft gentrification throughout our core affordable mixed-income and mixed-race neighborhoods that will push people of color and lower-income residents out of the city. Um, what do you think about that? I know, you know, Michelle mentioned this lawsuit. There's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, segregation. And, and what what do you think about the the questions Jonathan raises here? I think Jonathan, Jonathan raises great questions. And so uh, one thing that we have to think about with segregation, and particularly when you think about neighborhoods like Northside and Pleasant Ridge and, and Kennedy Heights is, um, and which we are also will be addressing through connected communities, is the way in which zoning has played a huge issue in segregation, right? Having um, a city where 70% of our city is zoned single family is probably one of the most, uh, uh, biggest contributors to segregation. Um, and it was in fact, you know, last year I was working with Mayor Dwight Tillery on, you know, he was in support of our zoning reform, right, to be able to think about how those impact uh, uh, race and segregation. So that's the first piece. Uh, the second piece that I wanted to say is that um, supply has been a huge issue nationally. So some national data, millennials, which I am as old as you can be to be a millennial, we're the <laughs> largest generation. Uh, we have been buying homes at record pace in the past decade. Uh, and since the 1950s, we have not built the same amount of houses that we've built in this city. So nationally, we're just seeing a decrease in supply. And so when houses come on the market, they go quickly. So we have the confluence of supply. We have the confluence of zoning. And then we also have the confluence, which is a national issue around access to to capital and banks and lending, right? And so as Kristen said, these are, the abatement is just but one tool in a toolbox of a lot of other reforms. And my concern is that folks want the abatement to solve a bunch of issues that are issues that we have to address in other particular spaces. Mm. Well, if I could just interject, I mean, I think that's what Mayor Aftab presented his policy, and I know Councilmember Harris co-sponsored it, I mean, that's how it was presented, that this is going to solve a lot of big problems. And that's the very criticism that we're leveraging. Um, home ownership among black families is 33% versus white families, 72% in the city. There is study after study of discriminatory practices in every sphere of our life in Cincinnati. And what we want from this city council and this mayor is some true progressive reforms, what we've been asking for. There's been citizens, there was a property tax work group that met for two years and produced 77 recommendations. Um, this is one of many, but this does not nearly at all solve what the mayor and some had said that it would solve, which is helping with generational wealth, help, helping bring up black families into home ownership. There's nothing in the black and white that says that. And in fact, what we're concerned about, it's going to have the very opposite effect. This does nothing, again, to address the disparity between uh, a white, Caucasian, wealthy homeowner in Hyde Park and their peers like in Roselawn. Um, there's just nothing in the policy. and But guess what? There can be. There uh, is a lot better solutions um, as we tackle the problems of gentrification, segregation in our city. This particular policy is not what we were hoping for. And we have high hopes for this council and mayor to say, you know what, we can do better. There's a lot of smart people in this city who have some great ideas on how to truly close the gap in some of these areas. And again, at the end of the day, 
It's about our kids and our public schools. Our kids should not have to be unwilling philanthropists in economic development in this city. Um, They should get what they need as children in our public schools, and these programs have been harming them. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment, and later in the program, we'll talk with health advocates about the FDA's proposed ban on menthol cigarettes. This is Cincinnati Edition. This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. We're continuing our discussion about the proposed changes to Cincinnati's residential tax abatement program with Cincinnati City Council Member Reggie Harris, Cincinnati Federation of Teachers Organizer Michelle Dillingham, and LISC of Greater Cincinnati Executive Director Kristen Baker. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. We have Barbara on the line. Barbara, thank you for your patience. What is your question or comment? Are you with us, Barbara? Well, I think we lost Barbara. Sorry about that. My understanding from our producers is that Barbara's key concern was um, what's happening to for low-income residents. Do these tax abatements help low-income residents in any way? Um, I'm going to start with you on this one, Kristen. Not that you're the queen of the tax abatement proposal, but I know that LISC has done a lot of work looking at housing affordability in recent years. Um, what are your thoughts on that? It's a great question. You know, homeownership, as, as Councilmember Harris alluded, you know, we've seen a really precipitous incline Um, in housing prices and values over the last few years, even in spite of COVID. That makes homeownership a much more challenging endeavor for folks that are making, you know, $50,000, $60,000, $70,000 a year for their household. The abatement can be a tool that can be used by our community development corporation partners, other um, development partners who are bringing homeownership in line that's a little more affordable, particularly some new construction opportunities that would allow for a little bit more cushion for this household budget for the first 15 years, right, of the abatement, depending on the neighborhood where this is located. So we do see that there can be some financial benefit to helping folks become first-time homeowners and be able to really sustain that through, particularly if it is new construction or really substantially renovated and rehabbed to bring it up to so they don't have to worry about the roof right away or plumbing or et cetera. So there are opportunities. It's a matter of us, again, calibrating these tools together. This alone is not the only tool that's going to help us with that. We also need to make sure that the funds that are flowing through the Affordable Housing Trust Fund are able to support affordable homeownership opportunities as another layer. And Lucy, might I just add that um, I think that's a great question and Barbara's key concern. So currently the program has a $250 application fee that we are uh, working with the city administration to have a fund to be able to waive that for low and moderate income owners, right? So that's a that's an equity tool there, right? We also at the city have our harbor program, which helps low and moderate homeowners with home repairs. And we're going to increase that funding, right? We have our ADDIE program, our down payment dream assistance program. Again, they were going to increase the funding too. And then we just had passed recently in collaboration with LISC, um, a, ho- a home improvement fund for those moderate income homeowners. So when we start thinking about all of these tools, right, we have tools at the city. And so they they work together as those puzzle pieces, right? And so that is how we are thinking about making sure that we're being equitable and we are cr- removing barriers for those low to moderate uh, income homeowners and increasing the amount of tools for homeownership. 
Did you want to say well, something? Well, I would just say I was at a city hearing recently, and the Addy, the administration said that they really weren't able to help the lowest of the income folks with the Addy program because they just couldn't put it together for them. You know, again, if you really care about affordable housing, that's something you could build in to the policy. You could say, we want to prioritize new construction at an affordable housing, you know, according to area median income level, right? There's things you can do. To just say that it's naturally going to happen is just not true. We know it because we see it when we drive down our streets in our city. Look at these uh, new construction. I live in Evanston. I'll tell you, all the houses around me that just got built are $400,000, $350,000 to $400,000. Um, no way approaching what working regular working families can afford. Um, so really, again, the challenge to... Um, legislators and policymakers is to really say, if you're going to put forward a reform, let's have some community discussion. Let's look at some real numbers. You know, let's um, consult with the school district, who's most the most impacted entity, our children and our families in our school district. None of that has happened, right? So I know there's a vote up on this um, uh, in the equity committee tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to hold the item, but we are hoping that we get some uh, much more robust um, understanding of the community discussion and really some actual impact, not just a paragraph from the Sydney administration who said, oh, don't worry, this will spur more homeownership and therefore the schools will be okay, which is essentially what we got as the public. It's just unacceptable. Member Harris, what is what are the, some of the next steps for this proposal? I know there's been some discussion. I know council members have kind of tweaked some of this in response to community concerns. Where where is this going? Yeah, so we have this has been um, I think a really uh, a comprehensive and robust process, and so we've worked with. Um, the uh, with uh, housing opportunities made equal and their black home ownership map to uh, inform how we thought about this residential abatement. We worked with the realtors and the black realtors and uh, have community <clears throat> discussions with folks in the community to get a full sense of what this uh, process and this uh, this abatement program would look like. Um, the administration will be present, presenting a report uh, and out sending this out to council uh, later today that will outline. Um, the impact that this new proposal will have in terms of revenue to CPS. And just in terms of revenue to CPS, I do want to say that that in the short term, there may be an impact, but the more homeowners that are in the city, the higher the property taxes, the more property taxes, and the more the CPS gets. And so the the thought is really that when you start to create more home ownership, it's a, it's a net benefit to uh, Cincinnati Public Schools. And so it is up for... Uh, consideration equitable growth and housing, and I think we'll have good discussion and and be and, and really sort of celebrate this tangible step in something that has really had a, been a negative impact on our community. Because the reality is that if we don't do this, we're still operating under an old system that we know has been disproportionately impacting and negatively impacting our city. And so, when you say it'll be up for discussion, is that um, tomorrow on tomorrow Tuesday? in equitable growth and housing? Gotcha. And do you expect a vote, or is it is it could it still be? Might it take a little bit longer to to get a vote in the committee? I mean, where I sit now, I think I expect a vote. Okay. And then, does that mean there will be a um, council vote then, possibly Wednesday? On Wednesday. On gotcha. Okay. Okay, well, I've been talking with Cincinnati City Council Member Reggie Harris, Cincinnati Federation of Teachers Organizer Michelle Dillingham, and LISC of Greater Cincinnati Executive Director Kristen Baker. Thank you all so much for your time today. 
One more question for you, <laughs> Councilmember Harris. If this is passed by council on Wednesday, when would this take effect? So uh, we are currently, and we this will be settled on Tuesday. Uh, the policy has it, it either in September or January, and we're just looking through uh, which would be the better implementation date. Okay. Well, up next, we'll hear from health advocates about how the FDA's proposed menthol cigarette ban could save thousands of lives. This is Cincinnati Edition. <laughs> 